So I think um, this next growth, um, just very much how in 2017, 2018 was about new tokens, new coins, um, all on Ethereum. I really believe that this next cycle is going to continue of the NFT and kind of creator economy. So, um, you know, I guess every cycle kind of has to have its, um, you know, huge uh, go crazy moment um, for a bubble to really emerge and then for that bubble to pop, I guess. And in my opinion, um, we've seen that over the past year with NFTs um, growth. I think NFTs have really gone into the mainstream. Welcome back. You're listening to The Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, we're joined by Marissa McKnight, who has over five years' experience in the cryptocurrency industry across key economic regions, including Asia and the Americas. Having lived in the United States, Japan, and Singapore, Marissa currently lives in Europe and is the founding partner of Multisummit, a consultancy firm founded on the principle of believing in a multi-chain future in the blockchain and digital asset space. Marissa introduces concepts of Web3, sharing her insights about Japan and the sector and the up-and-coming potential for growth in the industry. Let's listen in. Thank you to our listeners and followers for joining us again for our weekly Twitter space. Every week we're seeing more people join us for this live conversation and appreciate it very much. Before we get started, let us introduce ourselves. For anybody unfamiliar with us, we started Japan Forward in 2017 with the goal to reach global audiences, sharing stories, opinions, and editorial content from Japan. Our mission shared by our supporters and followers is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture, and tradition. And now let's introduce some of our editorial staff who are also in the Twitter space today. So maybe you can start with Naito-san. Hi, uh, I'm uh, Yasuo Naito, Editor-in-Chief of Japan Forward. I was in Russia, Washington, D.C., and London but uh you know uh the the russia is uh, you know blockbuster news <laughs> you know uh the currently uh but today things uh, i'm really excited to hear uh well thank you for uh, uh today's talk uh marissa thank you then next we have let's go with susan uh hi marissa i'm really happy to meet you my name is susan komori uh and i'm the senior editor at japan forward i uh, all the articles pretty much go through me uh, one way or another, or at least I take a look at them. Uh, and uh, I, too, have lived overseas uh, uh, in the United States, in London and in uh, Beijing. Um, and uh, I've been to Portugal and I've been to London, obviously. And I think you're really lucky. I'm excited to hear from you because this is a subject I think we all need to know a lot more about. And I'm really interested in your perspective. And Ariel? 
Hi, Marissa. It's great to meet you here and great to, you know, uh, looking forward to hearing to the talk today. Um, my name is Ariel Buzetto. Uh, I'm a journalist with Japan Forward. I have been since uh, 2018. Um, I cover a range of topics, um, you know, going from politics to culture and so on. Recently, I've been covering a bit more of the prime minister. Um, I'm currently in Italy because my family is Italian. Um, and, you know, in modern world that we can work remotely and on. I've been lucky enough to be able to work from here, um, but I will be going back to Japan soon. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to hear uh, what the conversation will bring today. And lastly, I'm Galileo. I'll be the host slash moderator for today. I've been working in Japan for the last maybe 13 years. And in Japan for in the last, I guess, five years, it's our fifth year anniversary this year. And I've worked on marketing, some of the measurement and data analytics, um, stuff on the website um, and social media. So, and Marissa, I think, yeah, we met before when I was working at YouTube and kept, kept in touch through, I guess, cryptocurrency news and topics. And it's funny, nice to be speaking with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm also um, excited to be here and see where this discussion will take us. All right. So let me quickly introduce you. Uh, Marissa McKnight has over five years experience in the cryptocurrency industry across key economic regions such as Asia and the Americas, also now in Europe. So that's pretty much covering the major regions of the world. After living in the US, Japan and Singapore, currently living in Europe and is the founding partner of Multi-Summit, a consultancy firm founded on the principle of believing in a multi-chain future in the blockchain and digital assets space. So Multi-Summit focuses on product marketing, partnerships, growth, community management, social media management, and business operations. Again, I'd like to um, welcome you to the show. Um, but before we begin, because our topic will be about cryptocurrency and, and Web3, I'd like to preface this session by stating that this discussion is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing mentioned in this session constitutes as solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement, or an offer by Japan Ford or Marissa um, to buy or sell any cryptocurrencies, securities, or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction. So in simple crypto lingo, so NFA and DYOR, or you're not going to make it. So Marissa, welcome to our show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. and Thank you for the nice intro. Um, so, yeah, so before we get some questions from the team, could you share a little bit about your background and how you got into the industry and maybe a bit of what you're doing now? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so just to give you guys some background, I guess, um, Galileo introduced me that I've had predominantly most of my experience in the Americas and Asia. 
Um, so kind of growing up, um, I grew up in a bicultural background, um, because I lived in the U S but would go to Japan, um, every summer and also go to Japanese schools. So, um, really much grew up in this global environment, um, since I was a kid. And when I came to, um, when I was in university at university of Texas in 2016, um, I was just browsing on Facebook and I saw some friends that were starting to talk about Ethereum. And um, they were messaging in a group about Ethereum saying this is going to change the world. Mm -hmm. um, they were kids from the computer science department. And uh, the University of Texas is one of the top computer science schools in the world. So I thought, wow, whatever this the, these guys are talking about, I should pay attention to. Mm -hmm. um, myself, I was studying economics in Japanese at the time. And I was very much looking at... Um, you know, the different levers of creating economic growth and prosperity. Um, and, you know, being Japanese and American, um, I remember the Japanese economic system started to just be in stagnation mode since um, maybe around the 2000s after the financial crash. And, um, you know, that had made me have an interest on what kind of levers can increase economic value. And um, as I was learning about Ethereum, learning about blockchain, um, I started discovering that, um, you know, Japan was one of the leading countries in 2016 um, of progressing blockchain implementation in different areas. And um, in shortly after, in 2017, um, I moved to Tokyo. And when I moved to Tokyo, uh, I started to just continue to delve further into the crypto space. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, we had lots of um, ICOs starting to emerge and a lot of white papers were kind of surfacing the internet of these new ways of creating these new decentralized businesses um, on Ethereum and mostly these ERC-20 tokens. I was investing in them, running around Japan, going to these ICO events. And um, that's really how I got started. Um, and kind of the rest is history. Um, I met some people along the way and, um, it's, uh, yeah, I guess like it's, it started out as more just a casual interest, but, um, I think that, you know, growing up in the biculture background, the Bitcoin white paper made a lot of sense to me as this global currency. And really, um, is something that I really understood very quickly and knew that it was something that was going to be here to stay. So, um, that's kind of how I got in and I can share more about it later. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, Ethereum is quite um, quite huge in um, cryptocurrency market at the moment. Second second largest in terms of market cap. Um, and it, I guess during the last bull run last year, it was getting closer to market dominance. But as we know now, the market has dipped, or is as they say, maybe it's in a bear cycle. But there's still lots of um, opportunities expansion for Ethereum and similar layer one blockchains. Um, so Marissa, I recently read a report from crypto.com stating that global crypto users to reach 1 billion by the end of 2022, so by the end of this year. This argument is based on the stance of a narrative of crypto changing in public perception and developed nations exploring cryptocurrency, in particular Bitcoin, as legal tender and working out taxation frameworks. So what's your assessment of cryptocurrency adoption um, and what are some barriers hindering mainstream adoption? Or maybe to flip this question, is cryptocurrency adoption beneficial for modern society? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we've definitely come a very long way in terms of um, the mainstream starting to adopt cryptocurrency. Um, what do we mean by adoption of cryptocurrency? I think the most common one that we think about is Bitcoin, right? And um, Bitcoin, I mean, over the past 10, I guess like 15 years now, um, has been in um, in presence. And I guess you can solely measure it by the number of wallet holders that are holding Bitcoin mm. at the foremost. So I think that's like the first um, indicator of, I guess, some cryptocurrency adoption. But um, I would say that there's still um, a lot to go to really become mainstream because we still um, don't have these concrete use cases that are emerging as to how this kind of benefits society. I guess a lot of this is very much um, creating value and digital value online, but we don't know exactly how this is tied to the real world. Um, You know, I think that we've had a really big push in adoption, I think, particularly in gaming the past couple years. Um, you know, one of the most famous narratives that has been driving adoption, I think, is the play to earn model, where um, gaming users can earn cryptocurrency and um, which is actual, you know, uh, actual value as opposed to just points in their game. And they can then go and trade that into something with monetary value. So I think that's also um, a way that we've brought it to the mainstream. Um, but I still think that there's more ways we can, um, make it beneficial to society. Um, uh, you know, I think that we are allowing for more ways for people around the world to be able to earn money online and we're able to distribute more money online. But I think we need to also tie these, um, things to, um, things in the real world rather than just sticking to online value. Um, so I think there's still a little bit to go, but I think overall we've been driving adoption and I think crypto.com's assessment that we're going to reach a billion by end of 22 is not far off. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I would say it's like one, it might be even more than that, but you know, it's difficult to say because one person may have multiple addresses or wallets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for different reasons, like for trading, for yield farming, or for NFTs. But it's like, yeah, it's a very interesting space. Uh, my next question was that the total market cap um, for cryptocurrencies um, at its highest was three trillion US dollars at the end of 2021 since the local cycle market crashed and it's about half now at 1.3 trillion. This is still double of what it was in 2018. Um, And there has been a lot of growth in the industry. In your opinion, uh, which areas in the industry have seen growth over the three to four years during the Mm -hmm. previous bull cycle? Yeah. So I think it's um, pretty clear the difference between um, this most recent bull cycle that was in 2020 versus the bull cycle that was of 2017-2018. So um, the 2017-2018 bull cycle, I think, was very much driven by trading activity um, at the exchanges. I would say the exchanges were one of the most um, beneficial areas 
that uh, really grew during this time, as well as infrastructure plays, different types of custodians to how to manage your private keys and making it more um, secure and more manageable for humans. Because in the past, you had to really be almost a computer. You know, you had to understand high level technical things to be able to store your Bitcoin. Now we have like MPC, we have all these different ways of storing your cryptocurrency. So I would say exchanges and um, infrastructure plays on custody really saw the biggest growth. And then probably the second, um, or I guess the third one I would say, so I'd say exchanges, custody and infrastructure. Then the third one is really lending and borrowing markets. So, um, I really think that the growth of these things of really large institutional, um, players and also really large, uh, cryptocurrency traders have come in um, in particular, this uh, past cycle of 2017, 2018, to um, create these lending borrowing markets where, you know, a retail person can lend out their Bitcoin and earn up to 6% or their stable coins for uh, 10, 12%. And um, this is definitely a huge area of growth. Um, you know, and really that has been driven mostly by the Bitcoin and stable coins. I think Bitcoin or stable coins also didn't exist in the, you know, 2012, 2013, when Bitcoin first started, but, um, this was very much part of the growth. So yeah, if I were to name the top areas that grew in the past three or four years, I'd say exchanges and trading activity, and then, um, the infrastructure to store your cryptocurrency which is um, very much necessary, Um, the lending and borrowing markets, um, and then stable coins. So these four things. um, Yeah, I I think I, from my experience as well, I think that's where it's at, where people are now more um, able to safely um, participate in Mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, even like with Ledger and Mm -hmm. that type of technology. And also with ex- with the growth of Ethereum, um, users were, um, yes, new financial instruments like borrowing and lending became became a good feature. Um, maybe mm-hmm. can I follow up this um, point with what are your predictions or insights of where is the growth going to happen next? Yeah. So I think, um, this next growth, um, just very much how in 2017, 2018 was about new tokens, new coins, um, all on Ethereum. I really believe that this next cycle is going to continue of the NFT and kind of creator economy. So, um, you know, I guess every cycle kind of has to have its, um, you know, huge uh, go crazy moment um, for a bubble to really emerge and then for that bubble to pop, I guess. And in my opinion, um, we've seen that over the past year with NFTs um, growth. I think mm-hmm. NFTs have really gone into the mainstream um, and attracted a lot of um you know, creative, um, artists and, um, also a lot of famous musicians, et cetera. Um, you know, now we have these NFT memberships for different types of, uh, leisure and travel activities, et cetera. So, um, a lot of people have been getting really excited about, um, these NFTs and verifiable, um, images or, um, rights that they can store on an NFT. So, um, and we've now kind of gone through the, I've gone, gone all the way to the up cycle. And I think now we're on the down cycle of this NFT area, but right now, um, 
And I can think that this is going to be the area where we start to see just more people start to create on it. And, um, the real, um, real players will emerge since now we've kind of had the bubble pop. Um, so this is the area where I'm expecting to see the most growth is, um, people really focusing on building NFTs and more, um, creators being able to benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. I think Ariel has a question next. Yeah. Um, so thanks so much for that. It's really interesting to, um, you know, hear that NFTs is really going to become the next thing. And I think I definitely agree with you that, you know, we're hearing about NFTs in the most uh, varied scenarios these days to do with literally anything and everything. Um, I went to a exhibition recently and they were saying that the creators there created an NFT and that sort of thing. Um, so the follow-up question that I had was actually related to something that Galileo mentioned before, uh, i.e. the fact that, uh, you know, the crypto market in general, but for example, the most famous one, uh, Bitcoin, uh, has actually recently seen a bit of a dip and, you know, you know, potentially a bear cycle and so on. Um, and so I'm thinking that sort of for the layman that maybe doesn't know a lot about the market, this might actually put them off a little bit. Um, and so I'm wondering, um, you know, how do you read this recent trend in the market? Is it a reflection of crypto being particularly unstable or is it a reflection of in general, the financial market or something else? Like, what do you think about this? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I was recently reading some research um, about this in particular as well. And um, from my um, opinion, what's occurred over the past two years is because we've driven so much institutional adoption into the crypto markets, um, they very much just operate like a tech stock. And so um, we saw an overall downturn in tech stocks, um, you know, uh, just recently and Bitcoin also kind of followed it. Um, but actually if you look at relative to how much Bitcoin has fallen versus the other technology stocks, um, Bitcoin is actually, um, still hasn't dropped as much as, um, it's comparables. So it kind of goes to show that, um, kind of the overall market, um, was on a downtrend, but I think that Bitcoin's held its resilience and if anything, um, Bitcoin is at a discount right now, then it should be um, valued at. So um, I would say that this is something that very few um, maybe newbies might understand is that, you know, Bitcoin was designed to be a hedge for the real economy and create this new um, financial ecosystem outside. And what's occurred is that because so many traditional financial players got involved, it's behaved very much like a traditional tech type of stock. But I think that we've seen a slight um, difference in recovery most recently. And um, I think that people are realizing that this is an alternative um, digital economy. And, um, you know, I think that this should not off put those from... Um, you know, still getting involved into the space. If anything, I think what's currently happened is that it's at a discount. And, um, you know, if right now is the time to accumulate, if you can, <laughs> um, yeah. But not, not financial advice, right? Not financial <laughs> advice. No, sorry. <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, no, it's not financial advice, but, um, Yes, this is my perception. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, again, going from sort of the layman perspective, because obviously we write for a non specialized audience as well. Um, In a very interesting moment when uh, crypto became, you know, newsworthy, I guess, uh, was with the recent war in Ukraine, right? So um, Mm -hmm. uh, the war in Ukraine has arguably brought like to light uh, different uses of cryptocurrencies. On the one hand, there was the Ukrainian government that was, you know, set up a bank account, well, not bank account, account for crypto and was asking people to put funds in there. But then on the other hand, you know, analysts were worried that, uh, Russians could use cryptocurrency as a way of evading the sanctions um, imposed by other countries and so on. Um, so I'm wondering, from your perspective as somebody who's a specialist, I guess, uh, has the war in Ukraine changed a bit the conversation about cryptocurrencies? No, um, I would say that it hasn't. If not, it's amplified um, the use case for cryptocurrency um, because. Uh, in a in a time when you know you can't use any traditional means to send funds or you um have uh, yeah i mean no, there's no traditional way of to send funds really the alternative financial way of transferring assets um has occurred and if anything um you know cryptocurrencies narrative or bitcoin narrative has been around um, usually any type of geopolitical risk or geopolitical um, uncertainty is very strong in a country. Usually these countries have been um, very strong use cases for cryptocurrency. So, um, you know, prior to even the Ukraine war, um, you know, countries like Brazil, where there's hyperinflation, um, countries like Turkey, where the, you know, the lira is so volatile, um, you know, uh, countries where have this type of geopolitical or, um, very volatile places have been kind of the beneficiaries of cryptocurrency. So I would say this is not, um, anything new to us. Um, if anything, it really amplifies the use case of what it was designed to do. Yeah. Because um, I, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, and then please. Yeah. And then I would also say, um, you know, on the other hand, you mentioned Russians being worried about crypto being used to evade sanctions. Um, yeah, I mean, the, but still the, the um, amount of people that are able to kind of understand this and use this in this, this way is very few. Um, sure, it's a way, but it's really, um, you know, it's, it's, it is a currency that is designed for the people to kind of operate something that, um, in these types of times they, they can have another system to use. So, um, yeah, I would just say that both of these use cases or these things really have amplified in the demonstration of how to use cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it- that you say that because obviously one of the sort of mainstream criticism of the crypto world in general is that it's considered very volatile, right? So it's really, um, I think, interesting and encouraging to hear that you say, oh, you know, but actually in certain situations of where there's a lot of geopolitical risk, it's actually a very good asset to have. And so, um, yeah. Very and also with point. the emergence, 
Yes. And with the emergence of stable coins as well, right? Um, Mm -hmm. People also have access to stable coins as a stable means to hold their value Mm -hmm. in very, these crisis driven, Mm -hmm. geopolitically uncertain countries. Just quickly, Mm -hmm. could you explain what stable coin is? Or sure, sure. Don't know what that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> people 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 might have a negative idea of what stable coins are right now, given yeah. the most recent Luna <laughs> UST oh UST situation. But um, you know, stable coins are, um, in theory, are a um, representation, or they are a token that remains a pe- remains a peg to a certain value to be stable. So um, there's different types of stable coins. Um, not all stable coins have the same mechanics of how they maintain their stable value. But um, you know, one of them, one of the most common stable coins like USDC or BUSD or um, any of these is that each um, stable coin represents a digital dollar in an actual bank account that is audited. Um, so that's one, which is, you know, a fiat peg stable coin. Um, we also have these algorithmic peg stable coins, which is what Terra was, yeah. which it was basically based on, um, you know, Luna, it was, um, algorithmic value derived from the price of Luna tokens. And, um, just recently, um, when there was some volatility, um, in selling pressure, then we had the peg for UST collapse and, um, the stable coin, uh, completely collapsed. So, um, you know, not all stable coins are like this. Um, and so we have to, you know, be careful as to which stable coins you hold because not all of them are held the same and, you know, definitely do your research, um, you know, in terms of which stable coins that you hold. Yeah. But I guess the, the concept is basically something which is to something that has a sort of stable value and hence doesn't change as much in, in isn't as, as volatile. much volatility. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so the next question that I have for me is, um, well, related, I guess, to your work also in Japan and because of, you know, you having also heritage in Japan and so on, I wanted to bring back the conversation to Japan because also our readers and so on, I think they're interested in that. And so um, I'm sure that, you know, you know that the in there's been efforts in Japan to simplify the crypto market. And so uh, I think most recently, the thing that I read was that uh, March in March 2022, Nikkei Asia reported that the uh, Japan crypto exchanges were speeding up the approval of new listings. Um, so, I mean, this is just the late, latest development, but how do you evaluate in general uh, the crypto market in Japan? And maybe if you could give some examples with other countries and, you know, what are some of the trends that you've observed? Yeah. Um, so historically, up until this most recent announcement of March 2022, um, Japan has been one of the slowest countries to approve new tokens to get listed. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that Japan, you know, very quickly adopted this pro-regulation um, and was very much the first mover to regulate cryptocurrencies. But it was a hindrance that they were not, they put such strict requirements on what assets they could list and offer to the public. Um, so, you know, other countries or other jurisdictions were able to list new tokens very quickly to their markets 
and people were able to trade and invest in them very quickly. So Japan very much lost market share um, in terms of their due to their lack of speed of listing them in their markets. Um, and you know, I think that it's great that Japan is um, now willing to accelerate their listings process, um, and hopefully, this will encourage more token projects to remain in Japan or um, you know list in Japan now that this is possible. Um, and I'm sure the momentum will pick back up. Um, I mean, in other countries, they you know regulate cryptocurrencies, but they might leave it up to the exchange to decide what currencies to um, trade, and they allow the exchanges to be able to determine that on their own. You know, most notably like Coinbase in the United States, um, they've been able to list tokens fairly quickly um, with their own due diligence and approvals without having the JFSA or the government really um, approve each and every token. So. Um, and then in Singapore as well, um, they just required the exchange to make the decision. Uh, Thailand as well was um, allowed the exchange to make the decision. So pretty much a uh, majority of the other jurisdictions allowed the exchange to make the decision um, at their own due diligence. So I think that it's good that um, Japan is speeding up this process and giving a little bit more flexibility since um, this was a very strong reason why so many projects would leave Japan to go to other jurisdictions. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, Susan or Gabriel has a follow up on that. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I'm not sure it's exactly uh, related to that, but I uh, this discussion has raised in my mind a question about the demographics and um, and both in terms of regions and uh, you know what kind of. Uh, age groups or uh, economic groups, do we have any idea, you know, where we're most active in this? Because, uh, you know, it sounds like Japan was active early on and then took a very slow approach to approval and therefore lost a sort of position. But who, where in the in the world are we most active? And uh, is there an age group or, or a, a, some sort of another demographics that's particularly active in this? Yeah. Um, in terms of like the demographic and age group, um, I would say that across the board, um, you have to think about the broader ecosystem, right? Like Bitcoin is really a combination of, I would say, finance people because, um, you know, they were making a new financial system and then also new ways of fundraising. And then he also was a way to um, program your money. Right. So programming with developers, computer scientists, cryptographers um, and both of these sectors, kind of finance and technology tend to predominantly be pretty male dominated. So um, I would say a lot of the development um, has very much been, I guess, um, male dominated. And then in terms of the age group, um, I would say. It's been a lot of, um, you know, people in their, you know, mid to late 20s to early 30s, um, people who, you know, kind of have started working a little bit, but um, decided that they wanted to build something new and different. Um, so I would say that that's been majority of the age group um, historically. But um, as I mentioned, with like these new um, NFTs emerging um, and these new creator marketplaces emerging. Um, I really see more women coming into the space as well. Um, 
And, you know, it's really a, I mean, in, in general, it's a market um, of all age ranges, but I would say it's still predominantly um, a male, um, young population. Yeah. Well, uh, um, that's interest. That's really interesting to me. And of course, the, the question I really wanted to ask is, um, you're really the first woman I've seen uh, her name associated with uh, being an expert in this field. Um, everyone else that I've heard of or met has been a man. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, uh, I wondered, you know, where are the women and why aren't the women in here? And uh, uh, you've just said that there are more women coming in. So where are they coming in? Are they coming in? on the, well, you know, creating a new, new sectors side, or are they, you know, where are they coming in? Yeah. I mean, I think that maybe just a lot of the women might not necessarily be in like front facing roles a lot of the time. Um, I think a lot of the women you see are kind of in the legal compliance areas as well as kind of the marketing areas. So they're kind of, um, um, you know, they're not taking the roles of like CEOs, CTOs, or, um, uh, people really putting their names out there, I guess, majority of them. And I guess, particularly in Asia, it's also very few, but, um, there's definitely plenty of, um, leaders, um, in the U S and, um, yeah, I mean, other areas, um, and definitely where you see more people coming in is that now that we really have the tech down, I guess there's more, you know, designers, um, UX, UI, UX, um, women, um, more marketers from the traditional space becoming more interested because the budgets are increasing marketing, you know, marketing in the crypto space has been predominantly very guerrilla focused organic, um, because we were not allowed to use paid ads or use paid venues to market cryptocurrency in the past. Now that we can, um, as of this year, we can start to do Google ads. We can start to do Twitter ads. Um, we can actually, it's a huge change. And because of that, we, you know, I think that you can start to attract more talented individuals from traditional marketing firms, um, to be able to apply those tactics into the crypto space, um, because of the lack of direction and lack of having to do things very much manually. It was like, you would have to speak in, um, Reddit channels, um, speak in Bitcoin forums. You know, these are very much places dominated by basement dweller, basement dweller mm-hmm. guys and computer gamers who are just sitting on the internet all day, um, typing messages to each other. So now that we're kind of, um, able to do marketing and crypto adoption has grown and regulatory, um, clarity is becoming stronger. Marketers can also now do things more publicly. And I think that's where we're also, we're seeing a pickup in, uh, talent, um, I guess of women as well. <laughs> Um, I, I want to ask you a follow-up on that. Um, and I, I'm thinking that as this, uh, you know, you're able to market more like this, that more and more businesses are probably going to be looking at crypto as uh, as more of a, a format that they want to do business in. And is that mm-hmm. going to mean that more women come forward? Um, definitely. Um, I mean, uh, I think that, um, you know, we... we I mean, yeah, I think that a lot of businesses are very much attracted to using the buzzwords of like crypto and Web3, but they don't necessarily what it means to transform their business. And um, I think the other 
by transforming their business, I also mean that the traditional ways of how you grow your business, um, in the traditional ways of how you do sales is also changing. So, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of this is, um, and I specifically in the creator space, um, or even the kind of, um, I guess the, just, just a very simple example is that, you know, maybe a restaurant wants to get into the crypto space and, you know, traditionally people have been thinking, well, a restaurant, um, maybe can start accepting cryptocurrency and, you know, then they don't have to pay the visa MasterCard fees of three, 4%, but that really didn't move the needle, I guess, in the past three or four years. And now the question is, okay, how can a restaurant, um, maybe get some creators to take photos and post things that are NFTs and then be able to, um, you know, own that photo, um, or be able to purchase that photo from an influencer and be able to gain royalties on that marketing. So rather than your traditional way of just, um, uh, your traditional way of doing, uh, business, I guess, is these new, way, new, um, ways of finding revenue and new ways to market, um, are really what will bring, I think more women into the space, uh, it's a bit of a roundabout, <laughs> uh, answer, but yeah. Well, I think that's a, we've got a lot of information in it, to be honest. So I, I don't see it as roundabout, but it's a, it's mm-hmm. very, um, full of a lot of options in there. So uh, thank you very much. I, I certainly hope to see more women uh, following your path. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, I think I think I think that um, also like the user experience for a lot of um, applications have also been designed very, you know, techie focused and niche, but now it's becoming more mainstream. So people need to design things that are a little bit more easy to use. Um, so that's also, you know, bringing more women into the space who can design things that, um, are easy to use for anyone. Accessibility. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thank you. I'm going to turn you over back over to my <laughs> colleagues who I think have some more questions. Um, no, I thought it was really interesting what you said about, you know, um, initially you had to go on Reddit and it was all like men in their basement talking to each other. Um, I guess it kind yeah. of is interesting also how you yourself got into it as well, right? Like you kind of looked at your peers at university, who computer science world, and um, a lot of them seems to be coming from that world, right? So I guess initially maybe a lot of people were coming from sort of computer science background and it was more techie, I guess. Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Back, back then, like the only way you could find any information was to basically ask these techie guys in a forum and mm-hmm. they'd be talking about all the technical aspects of how to start mining Ethereum or mining Bitcoin. And I'd say, well, how does this even, what does this do for the world? You know, or what, what, what is this? What, how is this a business or what's going on? And they couldn't explain it very well to you. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was all just, you know, how how to operate a node, how to, um, set up a mining rig, et cetera. And, you know, now we actually have explanations for business people to understand. So, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I guess then sort of related to the point of accessibility, um, what are some of the things that maybe you also see in your work or you deal with directly? I'm not sure. But um, you mentioned, for example, how a restaurant can adopt NFTs and to you know gain royalties through that. And that is a new way to adopt um, this sort of technology for the everyday business and so on. But what are maybe some of the other things that you're seeing recently and sort of the trends of, you know, because I think maybe again, going back to what the layman can do is like, you know, people think maybe this is sort of very like abstract thing and so on, but actually what are some of the everyday applications that we could, uh, one can envision and, or maybe what, 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 what would you like to see also going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole, um, idea of like using cryptos, blockchains and stuff for business. And what I would like to see is that we can, as people can earn money or earn cryptocurrency, earn micro payments across anything that we provide data to, or to any action that we do. So for example, um, you know, today, like I might go to a, um, coffee shop and, you know, take a picture of my coffee and post it on my story. And, you know, the people that see my story or then might think, okay, I'm going to go to that coffee shop, for example. Um, but if we have the ability to have a platform where we can, you know, post that photo and then, um, you know, post that photo and then based on the amount of like clicks or based on the amount of likes of people redirecting to look at the restaurant page, you can earn small amounts of crypto. You know, I think that would be interesting. Um, I think also in the t- like ticketing space, it's not that sexy, but, um, uh, I think that a lot of people really value like ticketing and memberships, um, and a lot of these membership programs, um, I guess currently are just sold, uh, like, um, held on some kind of centralized server and I guess making these into a very much unique custom thing with more exclusive access to certain types of, um, events or venues is something that's uh, really attractive for people. Um, so I'd like to see more of that. Um, and then I guess other areas of adoption that I've seen is particularly in the fashion space as well. Um, in the digital fashion world, because we all went into COVID and went to being home all the time, I think the way that you show off online and, um, is, has really changed to how you can show off on the, on the computer rather than offline. So, you know, people in computer games purchasing, you know, these Gucci bags or or um, people um, who can buy these kind of almost filter skins of designers' fashion and then be able to make that an NFT posted on their socials. Um, like, I guess just having more ways for people to kind of show off online have really um, also emerged as a use case. Um, yeah. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, I also... I, I, I also read something recently that said something like, um, you know, today, um, or I guess in, in, in real, in, 
in real life, you know, people show off by how they look and you don't know how much money they have versus in the crypto world, you pretty much show off with all your transactions, but you don't know who they are. So it's, um, I thought it's kind of interesting how it's now moving to a world where, um, people kind of, they are more transparent about their transactions and their finances, but they like to remain anonymous versus today people, um, uh, people are very public, but their transactions are private. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. A lot of, a lot to, I think, look forward to. And so I'll be really interested to see, uh, you know, how the sector develops and yeah, I'll follow your work as well. Thank you. Um, okay. Any last questions to Marissa before we kind of wrap up? Anyone? I have a lot, but I, I think, It'll be too technical and it'll be better if it was <laughs> offline. Do you ever come to Japan? I do, I do. Um, I haven't been back since October 2020, but um, <laughs> I hope to be back soon. Mm-hmm. Now that you've Whenever... been without a, a, a quarantine, so. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, maybe when you do that, maybe we could try uh, a different format and in, in and just try a, a like a YouTube um, Q and A with you or something. Talk with you about this because I think it's an interesting subject that um, would definitely uh, be beneficial to follow up on. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have, would have time for it, but I just wanted to throw that out. For sure, for sure, yeah. definitely. Um, okay then, um, I'm gonna <laughs> restrain myself from asking a lot of stuff because there's. Well, maybe I can ask a super, like, just a silly question, just so that we can end off on a sort of lighthearted note, I guess. Um, One of the things that I found really funny when I entered the world of crypto was the fact that there's so much, like, Japan-related references in all of, like, say, the tokens or the, you know, the various altcoins and so on. Um, I don't know if you noticed that as well, and is that something that... I don't know. Did you, how did you react to that? I guess, I think it was something we were commenting on with Galileo as well. We kind of found funny as a sort of first impact. Yeah, thing. Like, like sushi swap, right. Yeah. Or, Shiba Inu. or Shiba Inu. Yeah. I think, I think the nature is that people think, well, one, I guess Bitcoin has the Japanese name like Satoshi Nakamoto, right? Mm, so yeah, people yeah. just like think that Japan is cool. And then <laughs> the other thing is that, you like I said, the the population of people that are, um, like I said, the guys that are in their basements, the guys that are yeah. doing those computer <laughs> games, they anime love anime. Watches. Yes, they love anime. They love mm-hmm. um, they love Japanese culture, and um, I think that's why you see a lot of these <laughs> Japanese things coming about. Is they see Japan as this very much futuristic. Um, futuristic sci-fi place mm-hmm. and they also just like all the games and anime um, so yeah like I said mm-hmm. I think it's just the same I guess it's just the overlap of anime lovers and J- Japan lovers that are also the same type of people that are into computer games <laughs> um, <laughs> or in crypto yeah Mm-mm-mm. yeah I thought it was a funny coincidence take it away Galileo um yeah so marissa thanks for sharing your wisdom and insights with us it's great to know um i guess from your perspective that bitcoin and cryptocurrency adoption um, has taken 
um, you know, new new grounds in the last what fifteen years, um, and in this new cycle, we're seeing more creative applications for it. Um, and you also you also mentioned that um, there's more participation um, across the board from age groups and different um, genders and demographic demography. So it's definitely an exciting space to watch out for and to to keep in our radars. Um, before we wrap up, do you have any announcements or anything you'd like to share to our listeners? Um, I mean, not in particular, I guess. Um, you know, I will add basically after all my experience, um, over the past couple of years, I've now started my own um, firm called Multisummit, and we're basically helping crypto and Web3 projects um, and, I guess, go to market um, and connecting them to other crypto players for different partnerships. So it's really exciting to be able to kind of pick the projects that we work with now and hopefully they become the next um, unicorns of the future. Um and then in addition to that, um, I am also working to build a new um, talent network, like almost like a LinkedIn Web3 Web crypto. Um, and this talent network um, will be designed for, you know, anyone to find a project to work with um, or be able to freelance work with. Um, and then for talents to be able to um, you know, show their credentials online. Um, because I think in the crypto space, a lot of people don't necessarily work full time for one project because it changes so quickly. Mm -hmm. They kind of bounce around. So I'm trying to create a new talent marketplace for people to do gigs, um, and projects and to find their team online. And I'm super excited um, about building that because we're going to add a lot of different token economics and um, really, I think, event in, reinvent the way that um, hiring is done and the new future of work. So um, stay tuned for that development. That's, all right. <laughs> so please follow Marissa on Twitter. Don't be um, intimidated by her BTC Maxi laser eyes. If you search for her name on Twitter, she's... Um, Marissa McKnight um, keep an eye out for multi-summit and the development on their projects and you know maybe we should do this again towards the end of the year um, listeners thank you for joining us today follow us Japan Board on Twitter Instagram and Facebook we also have a YouTube channel and this Twitter spaces will be distributed on Spotify and Apple Music make sure you subscribe to that as well at Japan Board we are looking for contributors and writers get in touch with us if you want to submit a written piece let us know if you can translate english to japanese or vice versa if there's any other skill set you have that you think would add value to our vision please don't hesitate to get in touch we'll do this again next week and keep an eye out again on twitter for that announcement thank you very much thank you everyone for listening Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan. Catch you next time.